This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Grey Hot. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today are Richard Marquez and Justin Ozer. Richard, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, we're recording two days before Christmas, and I'm in the Christmassy mood. You know, know this is going to come out new what New Year's New day? Year's Day. Happy New Year! Yeah, Happy, Happy New, new Year. Year's. <laughs> but I just want to say I'm just I'm tittled about this whole thing. I'm getting so hot. I gotta I gotta take this jacket off. Hold on a second. Uh oh. What? Oh, and it's all thanks to Justin. <laughs> <laughs> for this so what do we got a sweater yep i got my oh, cr- nice. ugly christmas sweater <laughs> oh trek the halls and oh has, my gosh i love yep, it, it. Has the delta, it has <gasps> Lean on and... what, what else does oh, it have is there like a um, ship and or mine meld ships? and then it's got snowflakes <laughs> and then it's got the uh the e and then a klingon bird of prey yeah, and then snowflakes. Nice. <laughs> so, and a big but, shield, yeah. Delta shield on the yep. side. and Yep. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. And I appreciate, uh, I had to, I had, I, I, I used your gift, your gift card as to pay for the shipping to get it here right away. Oh. <laughs> so okay. I was planning on getting it anyway. And then you, and then that happened. I'm like, hmm. Sweet. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. So. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, I'm going to do my shopping on Christmas Day, and so I will get it later. But get your favorite Troy item, I'm sure. Well, (laughs) I've gotten a lot of Troy things, so we'll see what I get. (laughs) So, Justin, how are you doing? Doing great. You know, uh, by the time our listeners listen to this, will be the first Earl Grey of 2019. Hope the year's going well so far. We don't know from... December 23rd vantage point, but doing pretty good. Yeah, have some time off and preparing for Christmas with the family and all that. So it's great. Yep, I get my wonderful two weeks winter break. So I don't go back till January. I don't know when is it. I try not to worry about when I go back, but sometime later. <laughs> sometime next year. <laughs> yeah. 
until it's like the day before. Oh, damn it. I, I got to go back. Oh, <laughs> I have to set my alarm 430 and the morning comes way too early. <laughs> oh, isn't that great? I, I turned off all my alarms too because I got two weeks off too. Yeah. I'm obviously not a teacher, but yeah, I got two weeks off too. So like, yeah, isn't that great? It's like, click, it's yep. off. I know. I love it. And I still have a hard time <laughs> sleeping in, but <laughs> the fact that I can. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Well, okay, listeners, let's get going. There is some amazing Picard series news. I loved reading the article. So, Justin, why don't you tell us about it and what did you think of it? Yeah, so, I mean, as we record this, it came out a couple of weeks ago, but this is the first opportunity we've had to all be together to talk about it. So it was an article in uh, Entertainment Weekly on December 10th, I think it was. Uh, and they had uh, some bits of information from Alex Kurtzman, who's the showrunner of Discovery uh, and executive producer on the Picard series. So he talked about a couple of things. So first of all, he talked about the tone of the show. And he actually said it'll be very different from Discovery. Uh, it'll be more contemplative kind of show. Uh, and, and definitely, and I think even in an earlier interview he had said you'll be able to tell the difference when you switch it on that it's different than than discovery um which i think is great i mean i love discovery but i think this is a different show a different mood would be very interesting to see um and also he mentioned in there that they've already broken eight episodes and what it means when they break an episode is that they've basically for each of those episodes they have kind of the outlines of what will happen so they have to then go in and write in all the details but They've gotten pretty far, I think, um, and with the shooting starting in the spring and the show scheduled to come out in about a year, uh, they're moving right along. So I think it's it's all great, and it's good to hear that things are progressing. I mean, what did you think overall, Amy? Yeah, it's I'm very excited because we know Picard is the diplomat, and you know, always gathering information, making informed decisions, and I feel that. From what we read from this article and other things we've seen, like it's going to represent really who Picard is. And that just makes me so, so happy. Um, I think, I don't know if it was this article or if it also came out, but uh, they are filming this in uh, California right. instead of Toronto, uh, mm. which is interesting. And I think that's to accommodate Patrick Stewart. And so I'm very excited uh, for that. And I'm sure people in California with their filming and stuff like that are happy for that too. Yeah, you're right. That That is some news that had come out. And I think it's probably to accommodate Patrick Stewart because he lives in the area. I mean, also they've, like even for Discovery, they, the writer's room they've had has been in California and they've had to travel to Toronto to the set and things like that. So it'll be more convenient from from that perspective. It'll be interesting to see if they end up using, you know, or able to use any of you know, any old uh, sound stages or anything where Star Trek was actually shot. Um, so, but yeah, that, that that was news as well, which is very interesting. I mean, what do you think about all this, Richard? Um, I try not to, I, I like to be surprised. Um, I mean, it, it, it was, I actually, when I saw this on the outline, I'm like, I was talking to my wife about, um, you know, with, about, you know, knowing about start, uh, you know, what's going on with new series and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of like, I, I mean, I like being surprised. So I try not to read about, um, are you saying we should talk about the news like when that. you're not around? Well, you can if you want, but I mean, but I'm just saying, no, I mean like, you know, it, it's just in a day and age where instant gratification is becoming more negative and negative, uh, every year. 
Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of would like to be surprised sort of thing. I mean, I don't mind hearing about it, but at the same time, I'm not gonna, I don't actively look around for it. And I try to keep myself, you know, not, and, and not, and not anticipating, you know, or, or anything like that. I just want to be surprised. Give me something good. If you're going to give me something good, if you give me junk, then I'm going to let you know. <laughs> so, but I mean, that's just how, that's how I see it. So, I don't know. That's yeah. fair. I'm totally the opposite. I look for every bit and scrap of information I can possibly find. Because for me, like if I can find out all of that and they still surprise me, then they've done something really amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, sort of a sidebar, but with discovery and all the, like you were saying, Richard, this instant, you know, feedback from fans and everything, it's been discussed like maybe as an option to stay off social media during discovery's, you know, second season to just watch it just you and your thoughts and make your own decisions. I thought, man, that would be really nice. I don't know how, I mean, I cannot since I do a podcast about discovery. <laughs> uh, but I thought, you know, back in the day when episodes just came out and you got to enjoy it and maybe a few people caught it. And so you had a discussion, but you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting prospect to think about for season two and, yeah. and for these upcoming tracks. I mean, the, 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 the feedback for those things has is definitely much more instant than it used to be, but there was still a lot of discussion that would happen even back in the time of, you know, fanzines and, and people writing letters to Star Trek publications and stuff like that in the early days of the internet speculating stuff. I think it's just yeah. become The speculation <laughs> is just what sometimes annoys me. <laughs> Well, I must annoy you sometimes because I like to speculate. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I, but I think like overall, it's good news that like they're they're moving along and we're going to see this thing in the not too distant future. Like when this thing comes out, it will be I mean, when this episode of Earl Grey comes out, it'll be the start of the year when we actually get to see this thing, which is exciting. Yes. Mm -hmm. excited. Yeah. Well, listeners, we do have some uh, Babel conference feedback uh, for favorite character moments from Insurrection. Uh, that was our Earl Grey episode 256. So Justin, why don't you start us off? Yeah, and we didn't cover this last week when we had Ken on because I thought, you know what? Uh, I don't think Richard's going to like it if he has to read half of the Insurrection feedback. But anyway, we're, we're all together now and we can read this. Richard's giving me a look. Okay, so, so Wes Huntington says, Insurrection always has a special place in my heart as I saw it in a little dinner theater in a Minneapolis suburb. The weekend it opened and everyone laughed at Data when he said to Artem, I have to go home now. I really think it is better than most fans give it credit for and Michael Piller crafted a great screenplay. My favorite moment is from when Worf, uh, when he loses ammo in his compression phaser rifle and whacks the drone coming toward him like a baseball bat and says to Picard, Definitely feeling aggressive tendencies, sir. Why couldn't he have done that big of a whack in that Deep Space Nine episode, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite? He probably could have smashed home runs for Cisco's team and they would have beaten the Vulcans. <laughs> Great points, Wes. And uh, I won't ask Richard's opinion because I know he's not a fan. What do you think, Amy? <laughs> well, and that uh, book, Michael Piller, uh, is great. Oh, gosh, Fade the in. name. What's the Fade name? In. Oh, yeah, Fade In. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I read the first part of it, haven't quite finished it, but yeah, that is a great uh, reference and listeners, if, if you haven't read it, it is uh, really good, I can say. 
Patrick Carlin says, in regard to Worf's reason for being there, being glossed over, I remember during a discussion of insurrection on the orb when Chris Jones said, we can either have a scene where Worf explains why he's there, or we can have my mambo scene, but we can't have both. Very <laughs> funny, yes, and we definitely needed to have the mambo scene, so good choice. Yeah, because whatever discussion, it, it probably wouldn't have been that plausible, So, but we, for all times, have... Patrick Stewart as Picard doing the Mambo. So I think it's worth it. Yes. (laughs) Overall. Chris Hill said, I like some moments, but it feels like a uh, drawn out episode to me. It's better than TMP. No. (laughs) No. Nothing is better than TMP. (laughs) The motion picture was great. (laughs) Ken Tripp's favorite. So Ken, if you're listening, sorry about that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I've seen that criticism a lot. It's like a drawn out episode and I can see that. And there's nothing wrong with an episode of Next Gen. So I'm on board. Are you you sure you want to say that? Because I can think of at least two. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) And I don't believe in those either. I'm just, I I agree with you. I'm just saying, you know. Okay, yeah. so Greg Malumbi says, first of all, to be official, it was Jordy marveling at the sunrise, and you kept saying sunset. Apologies, Greg and listeners. Yeah, I don't think I even realized that that we that we had it wrong, but I think we had the idea right that uh, uh, it was a beautiful moment when Jordy was saying that. But thanks for setting the record straight. <laughs> and he goes on to say, I just watched Insurrection the other night because of the anniversary. The episode that we did on Insurrection dropped on the actual twentieth anniversary. That was a nice. We plan that, of course, right? Right. Wink, wink. Yeah. Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, he says, the thing I noticed more now than before was Jordy getting a lot more to do than I thought. Not only the sunrise scene, but his scenes with Riker or when they retrieve data at the beginning of the movie. With all the talk about the movies becoming the Picard and Data show, Jordy was very much visible here. I loved your picks. I would say Insurrection is a movie where the bits of its parts are more than its whole. There's a lot of great individual moments in a movie that was merely average. Okay, thank you for your feedback. And I definitely agree. There are some great Geordie moments that we were able to highlight, which you see a little bit in First Contact, but not so much, I would say, well, a little bit in Generations, but he's getting kind of used (laughs) and really not so much in Nemesis. So I think he, he gets a chance to shine, which is good. Well, and I agree, Greg, with you that the bits and its parts are actually better than the whole, which usually is reverse. Um, When I was rewatching it, of course, for the uh, podcast, I was like, man, everyone's doing something. And it still felt like this team and the crew. And I don't normally, when I think of Insurrection, it's like, oh, yeah, it's Picard and Data still for some reason. I don't know why, but when you watch it, everyone really does have some portion to play. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we also have some feedback for our first part of Weapons of TNG, which today we are recording our second part. And that was Earl Grey 257. And Greg Malumbi says, if Amy was excited to talk about Troy, which I was, Richard was really enthusiastic about this episode. And yes, he was, and enthusiastic (laughs) for this one as well, part two. 
Greg continues and says, you were talking about the phaser and the laser beam, and I was wondering about the really slow laser beam we saw in Conspiracy. Talk about unrealistic and not efficient. Glad they improved them in later seasons. Yeah, can only agree. Yes. (laughs) There is that weird kind of slow motion looking beam in Mm -hmm. Conspiracy, but which is still a great episode. But I'll have to rewatch it and see. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I'm trying to remember what it is, but it was like, I don't remember it being slow, but okay. Yeah. I'll look at it again. We'll have too. to take a look. It's been a little while since I've watched yeah, it. Yeah. It, it has been a while since I've seen Conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wes Huntington said, Great episode. If there was a weapon from TNG I didn't like, it was those ridiculous small phasers from season one. Thank goodness they retired that prop after the first season. But the one what uh, but the one was that great was <laughs> the one that was great was that sort of grenade launcher from Insurrection. I'm sorry. Uh, wait, let me backtrack. The grenade launcher from the movie that shall not be named that Worf used in that one scene. <laughs> Powerful and it has that boom factor. <laughs> yeah, what was that thing that Worf was using? I don't know if we really even see that weapon anywhere else. <laughs> from what I remember. Um, I, it looked like a bazooka, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I. I don't know. I don't think. I, yeah. I don't think that we've ever seen anything like that before. I mean, really. Or since. Or since. Yeah. Or since. <laughs> yeah. yeah not even D Space Nine. Remember? Yeah. yeah. I don't think in DS Nine they had anything quite that we saw at least. But. But Maybe yeah, it might have been for just for the movie. You good, know. Good call out. See, that's a yeah. part of insurrection you can be on board with, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if they could give me a weapon number or whatever or something like that of it. I don't even think they even said anything about it. I don't think it, they, they say, like, I was trying to look it up and to figure out what it was. I don't know if it really gets named, but there is in um, in an earlier scene when Picard's, like, I guess in this armory and, and they're saying what he's trying to bring down. One of them was what they call a Tetrion pulse launcher. And I was wondering if it was that, but didn't seem like it. I don't know mm. what it is. If anybody knows yeah. Worf's bazooka-like thing, what yeah. it's called, let us know. Uh, so Stefan Ringline says, very good episode. I was so glad that Richard mentioned the scene from DS9 where Kira explains the pros and cons of the phaser rifle. That was on my mind the whole time when I heard about the topic of this episode. Thanks, Richard, also for all the analogies and explanations. So informative. What I liked when I heard phaser for the first time as a kid was that they had a different name for it unlike other science fiction using laser, suggesting that it's somehow similar but still different like the next phase, pun intended, to laser. What Richard pointed out about weapons being the reflections of the ships is so true. I always thought they did that very well. Romulan disruptors were also my favorites, Amy, and can't wait for part two. I did want to make a comment about one thing, which is the the term phaser is first introduced in star trek and where no man has gone before which was a second pilot and the first one the cage they do call them lasers and i'm glad that after that they called them phasers because it just it just sounds more futuristic and cooler right well and it sets them apart too yeah yeah for sure lasers (laughs) lasers like lasers coming out of your head (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh yeah stefan really loved everything you had to say richard about the weapons which is great sweet i like it when people agree with me <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah so well if if you loved part one i think you'll love part two 
Yes, and <laughs> let's get on to part two. So we are going to continue our weapons of TNG, and this time we are going to focus more on uh, ship-based weapons and how they affect the feel of TNG. So I have the Enterprise D uh, model, and you push the buttons, and they have the different sounds that are associated with the weapons. You and mean an actual like phaser blast doesn't come out of it? No, I know. I wish. <laughs> well, maybe you don't wish. It would destroy your room. <laughs> I know. My uh, students would be very afraid of me. Um, wow. More so than yes, they we'll are. Yes, we'll turn homework now. <laughs> <laughs> you failed the test. Boo, boo. <laughs> I'm glad none of them listened to my podcast. <laughs> Sure. So you, know, you um, should you should put that as an extra credit cre- question. <laughs> I just might. <laughs> so uh, the phasers and the photon torpedoes; those are the two that we see most often. So, what do we think? I I always thought that the phasers were a little less, and the photon torpedoes were stronger. Is that correct? I think that's that's generally true. I mean, the way that uh, that I think about it is that the phasers are for something kind of precise, where you want to just affect a certain part of a ship, or what we see it also used for is to try to assist with planetary issues, like when they drill into the core to stop earthquakes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I saw the photon torpedoes as much more of just like an overall... Um, damaging weapon like if you really want to do some serious damage or destroy something you'd use the photon torpedoes because i think the idea with the photon torpedoes is that it's like a matter antimatter explosion so it's very powerful and the phasers are kind of like you're directing this energy that based on how much energy it'll it'll do something to to what it's hitting but it's not as much of a kind of bang as you can get with a photon torpedo, which is like a matter-antimatter annihilation, which is like 100% efficient with what it's doing. So Mm -hmm. that's the way I think of it. You know, for a long time, I actually got mixed up with uh, phasers and what what happened in Star Wars. (laughs) It's like... Like you know how like they they do bolt they they do like bolts and of light or lights or something like that for Star Wars and then, um, oh what is that other um, I can't remember what it is. It's like it's a blue light or something like that, and I always get mixed up because like on the on the um the TOS uh, the twenty fifth anniversary game uh the one the the computer game that um that came out back in the eighties uh there was a TOS game where they actually showed blue lights. I can't remember what it's called. It wasn't it wasn't a photo it wasn't a torpedo it was uh phasers and something else and I can't remember what it was it was a blue light if anyone um it's like a well like you do a, see uh, yeah. you do see in TOS I think the phasers are more blue and it's more red in TNG right but I think they had two different kinds like a phaser and an ion cannon of some sort I think hmm. I think Maybe. it was an ion cannon yeah anyway it's <laughs> for a long time I got mixed up because I I kept on getting Star Wars and Star Trek a long time ago when I was a kid. <laughs> you don't get now. them mixed up anymore. <laughs> right. I don't get them mixed up anymore. So believe you me. <laughs> but like, no, you're right. Um, so like, uh, yeah, phasers obviously are more precision uh, precision uh, than anything else. And then, of course, when you want to blow it up with a, with a grenade or something like that or, or well, 
antimatter size grenade. <laughs> uh, you want to use a torpedo. You know, just like what I tell my, uh, everyone on Bridge Crew when I play Bridge Crew, you know, use the phasers for friggin', um, you know, precision and uh, draining shields, and then just and then pound them with damn torpedoes. So, oh, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. use the phasers to get the the shields down, and then once they're down, you can destroy the ship with a photon torpedo, or something like. Yeah, that. since there's only a few of them. So you know. yeah, they are more limited, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I was gonna ask. Like the amount of quote unquote ammo, you know. So I assumed that the phasers could be continuous as long as the ship had power. And then the photon torpedoes, like that has a limited supply because those are actual things. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, one thing with, with the phasers is you're gathering the energy from whatever energy reserve you have. Now, I think you see some places in Star Trek where in order to boost the power of the phasers or because they're running out of other power, they have to actually take it from the warp power or something else. In order, but I mean, you need some power, but yeah, you don't, it's not something you need to like make. But the, the photon torpedoes, when you actually see them, there's like this torpedo casing and there's stuff that's inside. So even if it's replicated, there's time that it takes to like put it together and get it in the right tube and all of that. Well, Whereas we know phaser, that a yeah. torpedo is large enough for a person to be in there. As it, it is. Kalar. You could fit in Kalar or yeah. Spock, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it, it's like something that's what six or seven feet long or something like that so i mean it's i mean it, it's interesting because like when you see it fire like in the uh, image we have on on the outline it looks like it's just this you know little star of light but it's actually like this casing <laughs> that's just traveling through space and then at a certain point detonates but yeah it's 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 big <laughs> and they have on the torpedoes like is there a sensing device that it follows or do they just have to aim and it goes straight or is it a combination of both? You know, Hmm. and I was actually thinking about that, like in TNG, like I don't, they don't really talk about, um, they treat it more like a, um, like an underwater uh, torpedo, you know, like Hmm. it, like it has to collide with whatever, or it could be timed um, to be destroyed. But, but is it, yeah. But does it have some, some like a homing, like a it. homing device, yeah. is, is is what she said. Because uh, like the only time but, like, I there's really some remember... torpedoes where it'll it'll actually like seek out heat or something like that to try to stay on target, right? But I don't think it's quite like that. Well, the only time, well, what, what I was gonna say is like um, the only time that we really get to see like something like that coming out of a torpedo tube that you know guides itself is a is a probe. Mm. It's really the only time That's we really true. get to see it. Yeah, and, and it looks almost like the probe has like a rocket on it where it can just kind of yeah like, maneuver right. But the photon torpedo, yeah, it seems like aim over there, fire, and then you just see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And then again, we do see we do see the torpedo, you know, was it in Star Trek Six, um, homing in on its exhaust pipe. <laughs> oh <laughs> That's yeah, true. right. That's yeah. true. It does seek out the heat that way. So yeah, maybe they do that in in TNG as well. I mean, maybe maybe it's something like warps at the tactical station and is like, oh, disable their engines or whatever needs to be done, and so he'll put in like hit this part of the ship and maybe if the ship moves it uh, suddenly it'll try to track that based on the yeah yeah because they're like target their you know whatever their engines or whatever yeah Yeah. so i I looked it up and Susie plaxton's uh six foot two okay so it's 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 longer than that's what i was saying it's like seven (laughs) foot or something like that yeah 
I, did, I had no idea she was that tall. <laughs> well, and you know, Leonard Nimoy is tall, so he was, yeah. his character Spock's yeah. supposed to fit in there, so he was six-something, so that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So and sorry, for those using the metric system, I don't know how many meters that is. Two-ish. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on, Amy, come oh, on. Math oh. moment, math moment, come on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So question for you, would you include the deflector dish as a weapon? It can be. I mean, I think in the best of both worlds, they were trying to really channel all of this energy and make it a weapon against the Borg. So, yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but the, I think the dish can definitely be configured to be a weapon. Because that seems to be more even stronger. It can than be more powerful, torpedoes. but it seems like whenever they do it, it's like we got one shot. Yeah, because <laughs> I guess all the energy that goes into that wasn't it. Wasn't it designed to shut the shut the cube down? Was it? Is, wasn't it? Oh man, I haven't watched Best of Both Worlds in a long time. Well, it's it's it was meant to do like so much damage that it would it would stop them or that it would destroy the cube or something like that. But it didn't, of course. Mm-hmm. But, right. Um, right. But yeah, I I think you're right, Amy. They do use it at certain times where it's like last resort. Let's channel like absolutely all the power we have into this for one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because most right. of the time, I think the deflector is for, you know, gathering information, you know, mm-hmm. sending. I, I I think also, like, it's it's meant to be the thing because, well, I think in Star Trek, it talk, they talk about different kinds of shields. But, like, for, for the deflector dish and the deflector shields are really meant to deflect any debris, I think, that's in their path as they travel right. quickly, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. at warp. But that it can harness that power yeah, as, as a weapon. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the using it as a, as a weapon, mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So that's probably what we see for ships. I mean, and we know that the shuttlecraft In, has some phasers. It has its own little dinky phasers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I think I had an image in here. It's just like this thin little thing that's coming. I mean, it can be used, but I think we see in different parts of Star Trek, it's it's not that powerful, and usually it's not doing much damage. The, the, so I, we're just focusing on what's in TNG. Later in like DS9 and Voyager, they have these things called quantum torpedoes, which they don't really tell you what they are. So I don't know if we know like how that's more powerful, but apparently those are more powerful than photon torpedoes. Yeah, and it seems like uh, as I do my Deep Space Nine rewatch, like the the shuttlecraft on Deep Space Nine seem to have better weapons than the TNG era. Well, they're they're, they're runabouts, so they're actually bigger and they're more oh, okay. powerful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the runabout was something that was created especially for for DS9 and yeah, it was meant to be kind of somewhere between a shuttlecraft and a ship, although mm. it's still pretty small, but it, it, it's, it's fairly powerful, I think. Mm-hmm. So are there any differences between Federation and non-Federation ship-based weapons? Like, cause we see, you know, obviously Romulans and Klingons and, you know, what, what do you think about the differences there? They're, they're not called phasers. Or the phaser they're disruptors, yeah. yeah, just like the hand yeah. weapons, they're disruptors. Tetrion beams, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, one thing I put on here also was the Borg cutting beam, which is actually kind of like a laser that's cutting out a section of the ship. But you know, actually, there was one thing that really struck me as I was thinking about this. So in TNG, with the Federation ships, the the phasers and the torpedoes, it's like a red beam, right? And then for the Romulans, it's like a green beam that comes out of their ship. 
And I was thinking like that that also mirrors a little bit of the the differences between the the cultures. And, and what I mean is that, you know, for the Federation, it was founded by humans. And of course, you know, the Romulan Empire is run by Romulans and and humans have red blood and Romulans have green blood. So it almost seemed like the difference was kind of like trying to evoke the thing that would do harm and damage and make you bleed almost. I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, but it, it made me think of that difference. Wow. I never even thought about that, but I like that. Um, yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> Am I going too far? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It, it definitely, um, there is, I can't remember what episode it was, but there was an episode where they talked about um, the, um, the rifle or the phaser or whatever has an anticoagulation um, on it. So basically you'll bleed out if you get shot. Um, I, I, I want to say that was DS9. I think it was. There are different types. There are different types like, you know, Destructor, Tetrion, whatever it be, Chronoton based or, or mm -hmm. Phaser type or something like that. And each of them, yes, do have a different um, energy signature in a sense because obviously, you know, they do different kinds of damage um, uh, based on what you get hit by obviously just yeah. like what i was saying like the anticoagulation um um that's a part of it as well and like you know obviously you know you have to have different kind of shields <laughs> for uh -huh. that to block <laughs> that you know and it's just yeah it, it, i mean there's there's i mean amy i could talk to you all day about star trek online but um because i've read pretty much everything since i've since it started so have, have you actually <laughs> so. played it a lot or you just oh yeah i already it? maxed out on it it's really? i'm already done with it yeah on the but they keep, but they keep coming out also, with different like extensions and chapters yeah and stuff, but, yeah but yeah. i i usually wait for like three episodes and then i start playing again oh, cool. but like All i right. played it on the computer maxed it on the computer and on the playstation and xbox so I, I haven't played it because i know if i started you wouldn't see me for like three months probably <laughs> but um it and i want to be here for the podcast yeah Okay. Like the, the reason that this idea came to me is that there, there was actually a novel where there's something from a Romulan perspective and it shows you inside the Romulan ship. And, um, and like a lot of times on the Federation ships, if something isn't going right, it's, it's red, like you have red alert or there's some kind of red indicator or something. But on the Romulan ships, they were showing that they have green indicators, um, that there would be like green alerts. Well, I don't know if they call it green alert instead of red alert, but, but they had just like little alerts that were colored green. And when things went wrong, it would be green because that was a color of blood because something's going wrong. So yeah. it made me think of that. Yeah. Of course, I don't think that applies for the Klingon ships, but at least for the Federation and the Romulan ships in the 24th century, it, it seems to apply. It's, it's, it's telling you a certain danger from their perspective, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's the thought. <laughs> so with these um, disruptors that they have, is that just sort of, because I noticed that the Romulans have disruptors, the Klingons have disruptors, the Cardassians have disruptors. Yeah. I mean, they all can't be called the same thing Nope. There's transphasic, polaron, um, obviously quantum, gravimetric is another one, plasma is another one. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of, of weapons, but yeah. I think for the three of them, they're usually, from the Federation perspective, just called disruptors. But they must have some other name or description or something. Well, they do talk about, well, like, this is DS9 again. <laughs> but, okay. like, they do talk about, you know, all the Dominion ships having Polaron-based weapons. So That's true. They they, yeah. they don't have what they call disruptors. They're, they're Polaron weapons. Yeah, they yeah. invented something else for them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're all all kinds of different weapons, but I don't think that anything outside of Federation. Well, I guess there's a cup couple of exceptions, but for the most part, when you're talking about phasers, it's the Federation, well, or the Bajorans or the Ferengi. That's not true. Uh, then. <laughs> just, just what what it's actually plasma yeah. for uh, Romulans and Cardassians. Hmm. Plasma disruptors is the name, or oh torpedoes too. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. FYI. All kinds of names. <laughs> so they have both phasers. the the beam and well, the... it's the disruptor beams, and then of course there's the plasma torpedoes. The torpedoes, the torpedoes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for Romulans and Cardassians, and I know. don't know how often you actually see Romulan torpedoes. It seems like they're usually using the disruptor beams mm-hmm. when you see them, doesn't? Yeah, it? not very often. Yeah. Whereas with the Federation ships, you see photon torpedoes fairly regularly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, more so. But but I think like it I mean we talked before about in the previous episode about the hand-based weapons and that for the Federation, you know, they had the stun setting and for a lot of the others they don't and they really want to do damage and the precision may not be as important, but it seems with these ship weapons that it's kind of, they're trying to do similar things, right? Like the Borg may have like really much more powerful weapons, but it doesn't seem like, you know, when I mean I guess sometimes when they're targeting the, the Federation ships are trying to disable the ship instead of destroy it. But otherwise, it seems kind of similar what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it seems like there's less of a, like, really clear distinction between the purposes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else on ship-based weapons? <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean... Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I mean, do we have favorites for for these ship weapons? Like, do we just love the Federation stuff as our favorite or favorite non-Federation, like, ship weapons? Or or is this going to be a really short episode? <laughs> no, we still have some more things to talk about. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, I guess I like the Federation because I see it. It's more on screen, right? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, I, that's I, it's it's a logical way of coming about it. Yeah. I, I get I get it. I get it. Um, me, I I would prefer the the Dominion's weapons. Um, only because you know. Okay. Out of the ones we see on TNG, yeah. though. Yeah. TNG, oh, please. No. Well, and then. <laughs> um. I would probably go with Disruptor. Yeah. Any particular one? Probably Klingon. Yeah, probably Klingon. Yeah. So do you... Oh, Justin, what's yours? Well, yeah, no, I I think it's the Federation weapons. I mean, and the reason, and maybe it's just because we see it more, I like the versatility of it. Like for the phasers, you can use it to disable or destroy a ship, but you can also use it to like save an entire planet or to you know, destroy an asteroid that's coming in or something like that. It just seems like it's very versatile and it can be used for both both defense and helping people on a planet. So I, I kind of like that about it. I mean, even though we didn't see it on the screen, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they all the others do the same. 
You know what I mean? So you you would think so, but we just never see it. Yeah, I mean that's why. Yeah. I, actually, I would love to see a series that's all from like a Klingon perspective or a Romulan perspective in the twenty fourth century, just to see the other things that they do because they do more than just you know kick things up with the Federation. There's other things that they do. So I think that would be really interesting to see, but we haven't mm. seen that. <laughs> So would yeah. you consider the tractor beam in any way, shape, or form a weapon? I mean, because when you said, you know, offense and defense, I was like, yeah. you know, they've used the tractor beam, like, defensively. I would yeah. consider it a defense weapon, like like flares or something like that. Like a, like an aircraft uses flares to, um, or even chaff uh, uh, to, you know, obviously, you know, deter or... Misguide, uh, misguide incoming missiles or something like that. Yeah, I, that's uh, how I would see it. I, th- yeah. I, th- I think yeah, it can be a defense. I mean, when I just think about TNG, I mean they kind of tried to use it as a as a defense in cause and effect to try to tractor the ship that was about to hit them away from them. Right. So I guess you could use it that way. I would think you could almost use it as as a uh, as an offensive weapon as well. I don't know if we've ever really seen anything like this, but let's say a ship was coming close and you could try to like get it with a tractor beam and try to move that beam to collide it into something else <laughs> if you wanted to, but we never see that. But yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, the vast majority of the time we see it, it's, it's just like, well, you're damaged. We need to tractor you to this other place or keep you from hitting something. But I guess you could use it as something like, like pushing it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I could see it. Yeah. Like use it as a uh, use another like you said use it another ship as a projectile or something like that. <laughs> yeah, although we've never really seen that. Maybe it's just hard to do that. But well, I'm just saying, like, point. just remembering from like for from like Rogue One. That's <laughs> what I was thinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, question for you: um, with the Enterprise D sort of having this central main like where its ship is like it comes out from the center right the dish and then also from the um you're talking about the, the saucer neck, section comes like where they from, come out yeah. right okay. and so with the klingon bird of prey they come out from the sides with the arms right and then yeah. they come this way do you think there's a tactical advantage to having the weapons come out from so far, like the wings versus from the center mm-hmm. of the ship. Well, when it, when you're talking about versatile uh, versatility um, and, you know, uh, just basically all around uh, how, how, okay, no, that's not how I want to say that. <laughs> um, when we're, when, when we're talking about Klingons, obviously, you know, it's all based on their behavior on how they see combat, you know, just like just like what we said about the Romulans being in the shadows all the time. And, you know, I would think that they would have uh, weapons that are like that are um, very long distance, uh, you know, weapons. That's how I see the Romans. But whereas like the Klingons obviously want to be up in your face, regardless with yeah. a bat lift or even in ship to ship combat, because I mean, I, I, as we said, you know, like a long, a long stream of energy, it eventually loses energy. Um, um, you know, it's effectiveness and power and all that kind of stuff. Whereas a bird of prey shoots it like it's a projectile, but at the same time, they're also trying to be as close as they could possibly be to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's probably the, um, 
just just the way they fight basically i mean obviously the what you want is what is what the federation has which is something that you can shoot at any direction you know what i mean like instead of like one specific direction i mean that's like a, that's like wooden ships of the past you know yeah, oh i see yeah because with the other. with the bird of prey they have to shoot it from the front but with the phasers for the um yeah for the enterprise i think we've seen it come from a lot of different directions right it's like coming from mm-hmm. the top or the bottom or going this way or that way but yeah but you have to maneuver a certain way for the bird of prey to really effectively fire their disruptors right yeah because i don't remember seeing anything them like you know shooting from behind or something like that or shooting anything behind them have you definitely not for the disruptors i'm trying to think of torpedoes if they do because it comes right out of the mouth of it wait uh, for, for the disruptors wait. but the torpedoes i think come from elsewhere yeah right there Rod richard right the there yeah right yeah <laughs> well, oh, oh you're right you're right yeah that's right yeah. the torpedoes come from the mouth there and then from the, each side of the wings come the, the disruptors right right and yeah, even, even right. the romian birds have well the new ones that is not the well even the old ones it comes out of the nose right it all comes out of the nose. I think you're right about that. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, whereas huh. on the Enterprise D, it can come, and they have like forward and aft torpedoes, right? right. They can fire Side them in, and yeah, yeah. It, well, uh, no, not not torpedoes, but yeah, <laughs> well, phasers. That is, yeah. I mean, it's like your 24th century style battleship, but instead of shooting one side. <laughs> you can shoot in all directions. I mean, of course, the Klingon bird of prey is a lot more maneuverable than something like the Enterprise D, so it has that advantage. But mm-hmm. the, the, oh, I guess you could consider but, like a fortress. Yeah, but the Romulan warbird doesn't even have that because it's so huge; it's hard to really maneuver it well. Huh? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That they pretty much have to be facing you in order to effectively fire something. Right. I mean, the other thing about the Klingon bird of prey, you don't see it as much, but. Um, so the thing about the Klingon bird of prey is that when you're looking at like the arms on on the ship, they can be either, I think, up or horizontal or down. And I think when they're firing, they have to be down. When it's up, they're landing. And when it's kind of horizontal, they're traveling at warp. So you actually have to make a change, or it seems, in order to fire it, because I think we only see it when it's in that down position firing, right? For the most part, so yeah. So that's a little inconvenient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, hadn't, I really hadn't thought about those things. So definitely Romulan, Romulan um, craft, whatever you want to call it, spacecraft, there you go, <laughs> or ships, there you go, and Klingon ships are really made for fighting. They're really made for fighting, whereas the Federation starship is a fortress in the sky, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because it's not designed to shoot forward and be combat. Well, it is, but it's not. I mean, just like just like even the Defiant. I mean, the Defiant can only shoot forward. Well, except for the I think phases, it has but aft, I'm saying doesn't like, it have aft torpedoes? The Defiant. I don't. Rem, I don't remember that. No, I don't know. <laughs> I I, just, I mean, obviously in the game it does, but I mean, I, I'm talking about like I don't remember yeah, seeing yeah. it on screen. I that don't could, remember that, that. That could be, yeah, and that's meant to really be a warship. Yeah. They, um, well, but it's it does kind have of, phasers in the back. I do know that. Yeah, but so, the Enterprise D, like, if it's a fortress in the sky, though. Um, it, I mean, it's meant to get things from any direction, but I think it's also meant to, I, I guess, do what's uh, maybe it's better adapted for like the assistance we were talking about before. Like if the phasers could come from any direction or the torpedoes and they need to do something to to help a planet or destroy an asteroid or something like that, then mm-hmm. maybe it'd be helpful for it to come from any direction. Huh. Do we this. see the discovery on shooting in mm-hmm. any direction? 
It does have we ass just... torpedoes for sure. We did see that in episode thirteen. I remember. Um, I don't think we saw anything like side like side shooting or anything like no, that. It's just no, forward. And I think and for aft. the like phasers, it's forward, but for the torpedoes, it's forward and aft. Yeah. But I hadn't thought about this and like how they design it and why it is a certain way and why it fires a certain way. Huh. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, I guess I, it just I don't tells know. us the Enterprise is like the ultimate in versatility, like fire any direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it could do. You know, I mean, it, it protects itself definitely, and it's, you know, it's slow and sluggish. I mean, in relative to combat speed, that is. Yeah, <laughs> but, but what, what, what about the Enterprise E? Can it can it do things from any direction as well? I think so. I, I yeah. remember. I don't. I think it's, it had the same phaser. Yeah, it did have the same phaser rays the uh, the D did because Similar, yeah. in in first contact you see that ring at the bottom, uh-huh. and then it shows them firing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm assuming it does. But I, f- I feel like that's more of like a combat ship, but it still has a versatility for firing. I all agree. Around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh hmm. yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, and it just makes me wonder because I I want to see what kind of ships we're going to see in the Picard series and like what it takes advantage of from those past things. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know yet. But we will soon. <laughs> so there were some other weapons, um, some bombs that I can remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> from the high ground, uh, that's the one where Beverly is taken captive. I taken guess. hostage. Yeah, yeah hostage. Yeah. Um, and then also in reunion when they're, you know, tracking that bomb that was in someone's arm. So what do we think about the bombs? Are they used uh correctly oh and then the one that i just thought of that's not listed um that's the one where that's early seasons and uh riker and her name sounds like my name amy oh no utah oh i always think it's utah (laughs) because that's the state i grew up in but what (laughs) utah what's her name and and she's the last and she's going to you know blow up the yeah. The revenge, the revenge factor. Is that what it's called? Vengeance factor. Vengeance factor. Yeah. That one. Cause she's does a bomb there too. But, uh, so what do we think about bombs? Uh, are you surprised that there aren't more or did they use it just right? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think it is something that you rarely see in the next generation where it's just like, well, I mean, this of course goes beyond ship based weapons really, but where, there's a bomb that's being used to blow something up <laughs> in person, really. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe because we see so much that's on ships in TNG and not so much that's combat on planets. <laughs> maybe you don't see that as much, but but yeah, it seems like it's it's oftentimes just for a specific plot point, like in order for Beverly to be taken hostage or in order to for this story and the vengeance factor to happen or in order for to find out that there's Romulan involvement in reunion. So it seems like it's just used as a plot device, really. Well, think? and I think, you know, in our evolved, civilized 24th century, like lasers and, and ship uh, weapons are more specific that you're targeting, where bomb, you're going to have more casualties, women and children. Um, and I think that with the evolved state of the 24th century that people aren't going to 
in the future be killing innocents, you know? And so I think well, that we don't see bombs used as much. It, de- it depends on the circumstances because we're only talking about TNG, but right. in, D- in DS9, there's a lot of like innocent lives that are. Well, that that's a taken. darker storyline. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's why I'm saying, but like in TNG, it is different in TNG, you don't want you're not gonna see as many bombs and in, in killing of innocents because of that ideal. Well, I think it's also because of the story structure. Because pretty much each week they're going to a planet, finding out something that's going on, and if a bomb doesn't have a place in the story, then it doesn't. But the, you know, there's a lot of hostility that they're dealing with. But I think it tends to to happen with the hand weapons and the ship weapons instead of something like a bomb, which isn't very precise. You know, it's it's not going to effectively do what you want unless the point of what you want to do is to just have destruction and terror. So I don't know. What do you think, Richard? Well, bombs are very, uh, are obviously uh, non-discriminatory. Obviously, right. it doesn't matter who who is by one; it, it, it'll kill you anyway, regardless. And um, for a place in the future, I would assume so. I mean, only because you know, in order to eliminate threats, you have to be threatening as well. So, I mean, it, you gotta you gotta keep up with whoever's around you. I mean, call it a Cold War arms race, but I mean, you, you gotta be able to defend yourself and when it comes to like mine or, or not mines well but mines um what, that's what i was gonna say um <laughs> but like bombs like a ship-based um bomb would be like a mine and i could see i mean obviously we'd never see it in tng we see it in ds9 obviously yeah, yeah. um but like I, I would assume that they would have at least mines to you know you know because i mean a mine has you know dual purposes i mean it can actually it's a, we don't see it but but you but mines are an important part of chain of command when Jellicoe has the mines that Riker and Geordi lay underneath the Cardassian ships. Yeah, yeah, I guess mm. yeah. That's, that's true. about the that's only true. time you even hear a reference to it. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure Ken will love that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, it has dual purposes. I mean, it, it can be very offensive or or not offensive, offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, offensive and very and also be a t- t- deterrent as well. So mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to always be used. You know what I mean? Um, but like it, it, it's it's very. I mean, it, I mean, it it serves its purposes. I mean, it definitely serves its purpose um, for. I mean, the story obviously for higher grade reunion. But I'm saying like in general, um, you can definitely use it as a tool to, um, I guess, stop anyone. Really, I mean. I don't know. I mean, but yeah, I know that wasn't the question (laughs) (laughs) or that wasn't the answer to the question, but it just, it just flowed right out of me. So, (laughs) (laughs) but okay. All right. Let me me reel it back. (laughs) Let me reel it right back. So you're right. It's a dark, it's a, it's a very dark thing to um, have a bomb in there. And I, I'm pretty sure that, um, uh, given the time frame of when TNG was happening, what there was, there was lots of bombings going on, but not here in the U.S. Sure. Obviously, like it is today. Well, not no, 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 not not here today. No, 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 no. I mean, like around the world. Since, <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, but it, it that's something that's been going on for for a long time, and right. I, mean, I think the reason even something like the the higher ground there was even that reference to what was happening in in Ireland, where there was a lot of that going on at the time. Uh, so 
you know, it, it was something I think they, they put in there because it was something that, that was, that was topical or that was a problem, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 it seems like it doesn't have quite as much place in something like TNG. And that's right. why you just see it a couple times. Well, but yeah, you know, I don't know. You're going to run into terrorists in some point. I mean, no one, not everyone's going to want to be, be a part of the Federation and, you know, yeah. um, be a part of that or see it as, uh, you know, see it as host- hostile versus, yeah. you know, welcoming, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the way that I ultimately see it, like the difference between TNG and DS9 is in, in TNG, they're going to these different places. Maybe there's a conflict or something that happens and then they kind of move on. And DS9, they just have to kind of deal with it because they're there, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they're outside of the Federation, like the whole time not the whole time, but most of the time. Um, anyway. Mm. And that's why yeah. it has a different feel, I feel like. Okay, well. Have we answered your question in any way? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good discussion. All right. So considering these two parts we've uh, talked about, what are your final thoughts about the weapons that we see on TNG? Justin, let's start with you. Well, yeah, I think it's been an interesting discussion, a two-part discussion where we thought it would be one part. <laughs> there was a lot to talk about. But yeah, I think it's interesting to do the the comparison because you know oftentimes when people think about TNG, it's about exploration or it's about diplomacy or it's about moral dilemmas or something like that. Um, but you know, while when they're going out there and there are dangers, they need to defend themselves and they encounter others that want to defend themselves or or do something offensive. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of taking a look at that aspect that people don't tend to think of for the next generation, but it's there and it affects things. And I think we've had some, some good insights for how the Federation does things and how uh, non-Federation species do things, which I think tends to be, from what we see at least, a little bit more aggressive, a little bit less caring about, you know, stunning or not destroying a ship. <laughs> so, and, and it's been interesting to, to take a look and, and see what we can find, especially to find out that apparently the Enterprise D is like the most versatile ship there is, <laughs> as far as weapons, it seems like. But um, anyway, I, I think it's been a, a great discussion. I've, I think I've learned a lot here, especially from Richard's perspectives. <laughs> well, I mean, this, this all pulls back to why um, I love Enterprise so, so much. And it's because, you know, it's more, it's more realistic. And obviously, TNG is obviously further into the future. But like, you know... Um, it just, it, it, you know, in order, in order to be that peaceful, uh, utopia, you have to be able to match that force on the other side as well. And whether that be, you know, the Klingons or Romulans or at the same time or whatever, you know, in order to protect utopia, you have to have those kind of, uh, those kind of dark weapons, I guess you could say, and, or whatever, you know, something to, you know, something, something to protect yourself. And, you know, because there's, there's always going to be a need for weapons, uh, regardless of, um, you know, whether it's now or future or whatever. <laughs> but, like, I mean, talking about all this, it's just, you know, it's part of the reason why I love Star Trek as well. That they're, yes, the, uh, I absolutely love the ship con- uh, combat. I especially love it in DS9. <laughs> um, 
And then, you know, when it comes to, like, ground-based weapons, I love Enterprise. And I also love, uh, you know, what they've uh, changed into. It, well, not really changed into because really Enterprise wasn't in production when TNG was in production. <laughs> but, like, you know, I, I love the idea that it's changed so much um, into the future. And, um, you know, I, it, at the very least, you know, they're thinking, of, uh, thinking about it, you know. So protecting themselves and whatnot. So. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. As we as we heard in the comments. <laughs> yeah, you're you're on a roll, Richard, with these. And I episodes. I love it when people agree with me. I I really do. <laughs> it's always nice. <laughs> so what did what did you think, Amy? Did you uh, thoroughly believe that uh, you got an education out of this? Like you said last time, tutoring. Yes, definitely. And I like that. You know. I really didn't think that this was going to be a two-parter, but man, we had some things to say and to discuss and to compare and contrast, I think has been really good to see, you know, Federation versus non-Federation. And I really liked looking at these different weapons and you're right. It's, you know, we see, especially in TNG that it's exploration and, you know, but you still have to have weapons, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes you have to go on the offense and but most of the time, thankfully, it's defensive um, to protect yourselves and to get your objective across, I guess. Um, I really like looking and gaining your guys's insights about the different weapons, uh, hand and ship and sort of the themes that go down to even the color choices, you know, that we see on screen is just really, really awesome. I love learning uh, about how the hand weapons sort of mirror the shape of the ship. I mean, that I blew my mind. And then, <laughs> you know, with the blood, the color of the blood choice, you know, that they have for the weapons, I thought, wow, that's just, it's really been awesome. And, and thank you both. And thank you listeners for, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's Listen, been really good. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised actually. <laughs> so, all right. Well, for next week, we are going to uh, continue our lost episodes part five. Justin, do we have any uh, teasers for that? Well, let's see. So for part five, what I plan on doing is what is probably one of the best known of the lost episodes which also had some controversy associated with it so I'll, it'd be interesting to see what you guys think <laughs> so I'll, I'll just say that and then oh uh, we'll, we're not we'll even going to get a title usually we get a title did i give a title last time yeah uh, i think that was posted on the babel conference yeah. not, we not posted here, it on the, on the it? babel conference but yeah I, I can tell you the main mm -hmm. one i think that we'll be talking about it's called blood and fire by david gerald Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I don't know, you guys can look up some information and, and see, or you can not look up some information and I can go over it and <laughs> see what you think. But um, it, it, I think it's, for, for those that keep track of these lost episodes, it's one of the more famous ones. And I know Duncan Barrett, if you're listening, you're looking forward to us talking about that. So we're going to talk about it. <laughs> So, yeah, well, because be usually you give us a title and then we speculate about what the... Yeah, I, I don't want people to speculate on this okay. one because it's so well known that a bunch of people would say immediately what it's about. Oh, so, I mean, okay. so well known as far as those things go. Like, so. Okay. But yeah, that's what we'll be talking about. All right. 
Well, it's been so much fun and informative talking about ship-based West. Did you just say Wesley's? You said Wesley. (laughs) You said Wesley. (laughs) Weapons. Oh my goodness. Got to keep that in there. (laughs) Oh dear. So ship-based weapons on the next generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. I just want to sing. After every time I hear the title of this book, I want to sing, A Time for War, A Time for Peace. Funny, funny story. When when this was being pitched at the sales con in the sales meeting uh, at Simon and Schuster, somebody on the sales force was was worried that we that they'd have to get permission to use the titles because because it's a song by the birds and 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 John Ordover, the editor, had to gently point out that it was actually from the Bible and therefore kind of <laughs> melodic tricks. You know, I suppose as being an actor, you know, I just was really kind of feeling into Clive's character and and trying to express the emotion of what I felt like he was going through on the Sarangi. Mm -hmm. So then it became much more of a personal, individual character. It was how I experienced doing it. The 602 Club. But I look at this film as being almost three, maybe four different films. Because when we're in Krypton, Krypton, it's very sci-fi. Oh, you mean uh, excuse me, Krypton. You, yeah, you mean we, Krypton. We on Krypton. I'm yeah. sorry, Marla. Krypton. Krypton. <laughs> so when we're in Krypton, <laughs> Krypton, uh, it's very much a science fiction movie. Next thing, all of a sudden, we have Kal-El come to Earth. And now it feels very Norman Rockwell. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, totally different from what we just saw on Krypton or Krypton. To the journey! Brace for impact. Brace for impact, <laughs> yes. Okay, if, uh, I, I, I'm going to make a commitment to myself right now. If I am ever perishing in a plane crash, I am going to say brace for impact right before I die. To everyone on the plane. I will brace somehow for impact. hear it across the miles. It'll be very dramatic. You know, with some dramatic theme music playing, hopefully, just like we have in Voyager here this episode. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. So please give us a star rating and written review. It's been a while since we've gotten one. Thank you. <laughs> I'm actually surprised we haven't gotten one for the Troy yet after we just said that in the last episode. Well, yeah. that was the email we were asking for. But hey, oh, if you, email, want, oh, yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. want an iTunes yeah. review that's about Troy too. We didn't cool. even get an email. I know. I was actually surprised. <laughs> no love for me. Thanks a lot, no. listeners. <laughs> yeah, if you're still listening this far, yes. just hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag still listening. <laughs> and, and we'll know that you've gotten this far. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our, our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website, or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. 
The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it will come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, and we'd love to hear your email or read it, actually. I don't hear the emails. Anyway, you can use our, the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not firing phasers at the tactical station on the Enterprise D bridge? Well, what I do know is that my butt's not going to be on the actual console like Riker. So, yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling that, that whoever was there just like locked it out so his butt wouldn't fire the phasers. I would hope so. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys are so funny. Or, e- or even that. in those. Oh. <laughs> I forget what episode, but there is one where he's just like he's leaning on it. There's a couple, I think, yeah. where he's yeah. using the horseshoe as a sitting post. Yeah. yeah. If it was shorter, he'd put his leg on it. Yes. Uh. His foot. The Riker maneuver. And, and then you'd see like shoe polish on the top of it uh. or something like that. <laughs> so when I'm not doing that, <laughs> um, you guys can find me on um, Facebook. I'm all, I pop in here and here, here and there on the Babel conference. And I am also on Twitter. My handle is xransom. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not in command of the Enterprise E and given the order to fire photon torpedoes? Well, when I am not doing that, you can find me here on the network where I co-host The Edge with Patrick Devlin and Postcards from The Edge. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and I am tweeting about my DS9 rewatch. I'm at the end of season five. And it's just, now I'm to the point where it's like, oh, I've seen this one every episode now. So I'm really in my rewatch listeners, just so you know. But my favorite place is right there at the Babel Conference where I can see all your comments and discuss episodes with you. Justin, where can people contact you when you're not doing weapons research at the Daystrom Institute? Well, people weren't supposed to know about that. I guess the Daystrom Institute isn't secret, but, uh, well, now it's out. (laughs) So, (laughs) and I'll be doing that in 350 years or so, I guess. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, currently tweeting out my Season 7 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you will join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current weapons masters, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Mr. Worf, fire phasers now!
No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Worf would not say wait, that. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Firing, for uh, firing <laughs> torpedoes. I told you to fire the phasers. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, screw that order. <laughs> All right, let's start over. Go ahead, go ahead. Start go ahead, over? Are we, you're not going to keep no, that No, we're keeping it. <laughs> oh! Great joy and gratitude. <laughs>